Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. When you start singing about how worthy he is, look, I can't even get to the, I've got a bookmark, I can't even get there. When you start singing about how worthy he is, and then about the glory of the Lord coming into the room, holy smokes, holy smokes, um, my gracious, I really am not okay. <clears throat> um, yeah. Let's go to Joshua this morning. I think that's what we're still supposed to do. And if not, we'll figure it out in the middle. We're going to start in Joshua 10, okay? (sighs) Oh, gosh. Lord's going to kill me. Okay. Are you there? Did anybody actually bring a Bible? Look, John Pop brought his, and Dad. All right, I'm going to read a few verses, and then we'll pray and talk about it, okay? I'm in verse 16. (laughs) Now these five kings had fled and hidden themselves in the cave at Makeda, and it was told to Joshua, saying, The five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Makeda. So Joshua said, Roll large stones against the mouth of the cave, And post men by it to guard them. Verse 19. But do not stay there yourselves. That's weird. Pursue your enemies. Listen to this. Pursue your enemies. And attack them from behind. Do not allow them to enter their cities. For the Lord your God has handed them over to you. Whoa. For the Lord your God has handed them over to you. The message this morning is finish the fight. Finish the fight. Okay? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are here. Wow, you are here. Jesus, you are so close. Be gentle with us, Lord. Bless your word, Lord. Touch your servant. Help me, Lord, to communicate this word the way you would have it to come out. Let your people hear this word. Let it be good seed on good ground. Let them receive it today with joy. Let it be a seed to save their soul today, Lord. Let it benefit them. Let it produce good fruit for the kingdom. Lord, I ask that you would do it exponentially. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Okay. Let's play catch up for a minute. So we're in Joshua 10. So the children of Israel have come out of the wilderness. They have um, come into the promised land. They are now fighting to take ground in the promised land. They uh, have crossed over the Jordan. Moses is dead and buried. Bishop Tony Miller would say God killed him and buried him. Um, And now Joshua is leading the troops. God has promised Joshua that just as he was with Moses, that he's going to be with Joshua. And now Joshua is leading the army. What was a family is now an army. There's probably a word in that. What wasn't family is now an army, and Israel is marching through the promised land and taking territory. Interesting, I think most of us would consider our promised land 
uh, I think most of us, if we crossed over into the promised land and the very first thing that we face, were faced with was a walled city that we had to fight, we would consider it not our promised land. Does that, does that sound like it lands with most of you? The promised land, most of us that we walk into, it comes with battles. What we picture as the promised land is uh, ponies and unicorns and rainbows and sprinkles and ice cream. And what God promises, what God pictures as the promised land is battles that He's equipped us to win. Battles that He's equipped us to win. Our promised land is not a land full of no battles. Our promised land is a land full of battles that we're equipped to win. Does that make sense? So Joshua leads the children of Israel across the Jordan, and they don't come into a land that's desolate and barren, and everybody's been driven out by the hand of the Lord. They actually come into a land that's full of enemies, full of adversaries, full of people, and their job is to fight, but he's equipped them supernaturally to win the battle. This is true throughout all of Scripture. Throughout all of Scripture. Remember, remember Elijah gets taken up in the whirlwind. He drops the mantle to Elisha. Elisha's coming down through his, through, across his valley, if you will. He, he gets down and he's walking into his promised land because he's now got the mantle. Very first thing he faces is a giant called a river. Right? Jesus comes out of the wilderness. He comes into his promised land, his ministry time. Very first thing he faces are a bunch of sick people. Jesus doesn't come out of the wilderness and get the uh, procession into Jerusalem with the donkey. Jesus gets a bunch of sick people. Our promised land doesn't begin with, with a bunch of barren land that's been set up for us and a golden gate and angels with harps and, and musical instruments. Our promised land comes with battles. Our promised land comes with battles, but it comes with the hand of the Lord supernaturally enabling us to win the battles that He set before us. It may come with a Jericho, but it comes with a supernatural strategy that says this walled city cannot, will not, shall not, has no ability to stand before you because this is the land that I promised to you. This is the land that I promised to you. And it doesn't matter how big the city looks or how strong the wall looks, it has to come down. And it doesn't matter how foolish the, the strategy of the Lord may sound. If you have to run around it and sing and shout, then that's what we're going to do because it will come down. Because it's been promised to us. It's been promised to us. Okay, so children of Israel have come into the promised land. They have destroyed Jericho. They have destroyed, after a little hiccup, they've destroyed Ai. Went through a little battle, but they've, they've destroyed Ai. They got things straightened out. They got the, the stuff out of the camp. They, they kept some stuff from Jericho. Go back and read Joshua. It's fantastic, the first eight chapters. They, they get the stuff out of the camp. They destroy Ai. Ai is a smaller city than Jericho. So we find ourselves in chapter 9 of Joshua, okay? So the children of Israel are rolling. They are, they are the crimson tide of the promised land, okay? They are rolling through the promised land. And, and all of the inhabitants of the promised land see what's going on. And they are not super excited about it because they know there's a checklist and they're next on it. So there's this group of people called the Gibeonites. And they start doing the math. And they're like, now at some point, Israel's showing up at our door. And if we're standing in the way, we're getting mowed over too. So Gibeonites do this actually super smart thing and very, um, uh, well, they lie is what they do. So they come to the children of Israel and they put on old clothes 
and they put on old sandals that are worn out, old clothes that are worn out. They, they wear their camels out before they go to the children of Israel. They take bread that's old and hard, and they make it look like they've been traveling from a really far way away. And they come to Israel, and they say, I promise all this is important. I'm getting there, okay? Stay alive for me, okay? So they come to the children of Israel, and they say, we've been traveling for a really long time, and we're from a really far way away, and please don't kill us because we know you're mighty and wonderful and victorious, and please don't kill us and make, make a Make a pact with us and let us be your servants. And the children of Israel are like, now wait a second. How do we know you don't live in the land? And they're like, well, we promise. And they're like, well, good enough for us. So they make a pact with them. And they don't consult with God. There's a message there too. They don't consult with God and they make a pact with them. And then they find out, wait a second, they actually do live in the land. And they say, why did they trick us? And they said, because you were going to kill us if we didn't become your servants. So Joshua says, well, forever then you will serve us. You will be our bond servants for forever. They said, good enough for us, at least we don't die. So, we come to chapter 10. The Gibeonites have enslaved themselves to Israel. Israel, rolling through the promised land, mowing everybody down. And we have five kings that have become very upset because Gibeonites have made a pact with Israel and with Joshua. And the Gibeonites are upset, or the, the five kings are upset because they see that the Gibeonites combined with Israel are way too big. And they are going to mow over the rest of the promised land if, as if Israel wasn't big enough already. Okay? Are you alive? Are you still with me? All right. So the battle has begun here in verse 16. The battle is actually very much underway, and Israel is, is whooping some tail. Not only Israel, but the Lord has joined in. He's throwing giant hailstones on people. It's funny, there's a footnote at, uh, about halfway through Joshua 10 where it, says, where it says that more people died of hailstones than died of the sword. So the Lord made sure to stick that in there that like, I got more people than they did with the swords. So we find ourselves in chapter 10. Man, it is thick in here. Goodness gracious. So we find ourselves in chapter 10. Five kings have gathered themselves against Israel. Israel is crushing them and the Lord is helping with giant hailstones. The battle is well underway, and Israel is not losing, they are winning. Okay? That's where we find ourselves. Israel is in their promised land. They are taking possession of what is theirs. They are taking possession of what the Lord has promised them, and they are winning this battle that's come up against them. Okay, are you there? All right, let's read again. Verse 16. Now, these five kings had fled and hidden themselves in the cave at Makkedah. Why? Because they're losing. And it was told to Joshua saying, These five kings have, found, have been hidden in, found hidden in the cave at Makkedah. So Joshua said, Roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and post men by it to guard them. Verse 19. But do not stay there yourselves. This is super interesting to me. Uh, I think if you would quiz like modern warfare experts, none of them would say, leave the generals and go after the privates. Or leave the generals and go after the, the laymen of the army. But Joshua, in the middle of this battle, the five kings run into a cave, likely to strategize, likely to hide, likely to do whatever. And Joshua says, leave them there. Put a stone against it or whatever you got to do. Put a couple dudes by it and go chase after the rest of the army. That's weird. That's not normal. Wouldn't you want to take out the leaders of the army? Wouldn't you want to take out those who are in charge? Hasn't the strategy since like the dawn of time been take out the leaders and the rest of the army will, be, will fall apart? Joshua gets some kind of divine instruction in the middle of this battle. 
We don't, we don't have it recorded. We, we have to read in between the lines. But there's some kind of divine instruction. And, and the divine instruction goes against what is natural. If we're going to fight the way that he wants us to fight, sometimes the instructions look a little bit unnatural. In fact, most of the time the instructions look a little bit unnatural. Joshua abandons the five kings. I would argue that if these five kings escape, they don't. uh, Side note, they end up dying. But if these five kings escape somehow, they could raise up another army. If these five kings get out, the, the... the brain power is in the five kings. The brain power is not in the, the army that's run off to the cities. But Joshua, somehow through divine understanding, says the kings aren't important in this moment. Go run after the army. Sometimes I think we get so caught up in what looks natural or what looks wise in the moment that we forget to consult with him on what he wants us to do. And what looks natural is take the money and move it here or, or put the kids in this school or, or, or go, to this, go to this counselor and listen to what they're saying. And instead of asking him, what do you want me to do in this situation? I'm trying to figure out how to fight with natural resources and with natural understanding. And his way of thinking is bizarre and strange and way out there. And way out there. And he's saying, no, 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 leave the kings. We'll worry about them at another time. I'll lock them in a cave and they'll never be able to get out. I'll put an angel there if I have to. And you go chase after the men. And you go chase after the men. And it is that kind of thinking that actually perplexes the world and causes them to look at us kind of with that sideways look and go, what is different about them that they think about things differently, they consider things differently, they perceive things differently What is it that causes them to do that? And that is the invitation to say, I've got a different source of information. I've got a different source of information. Paul would say it this way. It's the weakness of God that's stronger than human strength. And the foolishness of God, that's dangerous. The foolishness of God that's wiser than human wisdom. Because in the middle of a battle, all I want to do is gather up all the knowledge that I can do, all the strength that I can gather up, and figure out to fight the best way I know how. And he's saying, yeah, we're not going with your plan today. We're not going with your plan today. So Joshua locks the kings in a cave, and he says, do not stay there yourselves. Verse 19, pursue your enemies, attack them from behind. Do not allow them to enter their cities. For the Lord your God has handed them over to you. That word for pursue, it is a command in the Hebrew. It's to chase after, to put to flight, to persecute, or to harass. Not just your enemies. It's the enemies that the Lord has handed over to you. The enemies that the Lord has given to you, bestowed to you, granted to you, permitted to you, and ascribed to you. It is, did you know, it's actually disobedient for me not to pursue the things that he's put into my hand. It's disobedient for me not to pursue what he's put into my hand. Oftentimes, oftentimes we like to sit back and go, when God's ready to do it, he'll do it. But Joshua said, don't sit still. And pursue after that which he's put into your hand. And don't dare let them escape into their cities. Their cities are their strongholds. Their cities are their safe places. Their cities are their places where they run and hide. And Joshua says, don't allow them to escape and go hide and go run into refuge. Go and pursue because he's put it into your hands. Now, if he hadn't put it into your hands, don't you dare pursue. 
But if he's put it into your hands, don't you dare sit still. For too long, the church has said one of these days. I'm talking big C church, so don't get offended. I'm talking big C church. Not this church. Not this church. You people are incredible. The big church, the global church, for too long the global church has said one of these days God is going to move. One of these days God is going to show up. One of these, does it sound familiar? One of these days there's going to be a move of God like we've never seen. One of these days there's going to be a power that shows up like we've never known. One of these days the Holy Spirit and fire like we've known. It happened in Acts 2. It happened in Acts 2. And there are things that He has given into our hands that we are sitting back going, Kumbaya, one day, save, praise God, save us, Lord. One day He's going to show up and do it. And He has put things into our hands saying, if you will only pursue what's been put into your hands. Pursue what's been put into our hands. And there have been times and moments where the battle has raged and we've began to take possession of what He's given to us and we've allowed them to scatter back to their cities. Only to regroup, to recharge, to regain momentum. And then we keep finding ourselves fighting the same stuff over and over and over again. And we're going, God, why, why are we fighting this stuff again and again and again? And it's because we didn't pursue. We didn't pursue. We got temporary relief. We got momentary relief. We got, we got seasonal relief. And we settled for seasonal relief when victory in the kingdom doesn't look like a reprieve. Victory in the kingdom looks like extinction of the enemy. You may not like that, but that's what the book says. Joshua is a gory book. And if you don't like gore, don't read Joshua. It is a gory book. They extinguish and wipe out the enemy. Because it is a picture of sin. And it is a picture of hell. And it is a picture of death that works its way into the lives of believers. And Jesus came. Yeshua, by the way. Yeshua came to extinguish sin out of the lives of His people. And to walk them into their promise. And He came to extinguish it in our lives. Not to bring temporary relief. He didn't come so that I could not be depressed for a month or two and then battle it again once the holidays show up. He didn't come. He didn't come so my marriage will only be on the rocks when the kids are acting crazy. But when they're good, we're good. He didn't come so that finances will be fine on the months where we get paid and I'm working overtime. But in between then, my finances are all jacked up. He came to extinguish the work of sin in my life and to walk me into my promises. To walk me fully into my promises. But if I sit back and say one day, hopefully, maybe this good God will come kick down the door and drag me by the collar into what He's got for me. It ain't happening. It ain't happening. I've got to get up and pursue. And pursue. Do not stay there yourselves. Pursue your enemy. That word for stay, by the way, is to stand still. To cease moving. To tarry or, hear this, delay. It, <laughs> to delay. In other words, stopping and delaying are in the same category. I'll get to it. Well, the apostle used to say delayed obedience is disobedience. That's his, not mine. So if you get mad. That's right. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And he put delay and stopping in the same category. 
yeah, well, God, right now, things are kind of tough at work, so I'm going to get to that next season. Season. We love the word. Can I go for a minute? We love the word season in church. What is a season? What is a season? What determines the change of season? What determines when my season is over and when I'm stepping into a new season? How does this season end and that season begin? And what's the in-between season? Am I in a season or out of season? Is it that season or this season? Am I in between season? On the brink of a season? Falling into or out of a season? We love seasons. And they're biblical. I love seasons too. But my goodness, we've fallen in love with the word seasons. And we've, we've idolized seasons so much that we, we grab onto seasons and say, Well, it's not my season. Can I, can, I, can, I just, can I just theorize for a minute that the God who controls time and space and matter, if he wants to change your season, whether it's been one millisecond or one day or one hour or one minute, he can change your season. It ain't got to be 10 years for your season to change. He is the God above and beyond all things. If he decides that now is a season and a second from now is another season, he can turn the page. It's time that we stop saying this season has got to last three years and that season's got to last 33 years because Jesus was 33 years and his season of waiting was three and a half years, so I got to wait three and a half years for this season. Throw that stuff out the window. Throw that stuff out the window. Man, I feel Jesus today. Sorry, but I feel Jesus today. Throw it out the window. Fall in love with Jesus and find out what he thinks about your season. He said, don't allow them to enter their cities. Verse 20. It came about when Joshua and the sons of Israel had finished striking them down in a very great defeat. I told you, it's gory. Until they were destroyed. He had put a complete end. A complete end. He beat them, scourged them, smite them, killed them, slay them. A complete end. Until they were destroyed. It was a very great defeat. And the survivors of them who escaped had entered the fortified cities. This word for survivors, it's not that Joshua decided, okay, you all can go back. This word for survivors is, is a, a term used for, for someone who escapes the slaughter. In other words, there were folks who crawled off the battlefield. There were folks who barely made it out. They were limping and dragging themselves off the battlefield. Joshua took out everybody that he had a chance to take out. And later on in Joshua, he goes back and gets the rest of them. Joshua left none standing. None standing. Why? Because that was his promise. That was his promise. And it was not only his promise. It was his son's promise. And his son's son's promise. It was the promise for his generations. And he knew that if he let them... I'm going to get ahead of myself. He knew that they could not stay. It belonged to him, it belonged to them, and they couldn't stay. They couldn't stay. And there was a very great defeat. A very great defeat. That all the people returned to the camp, to Joshua at Makeda, in peace. Verse 21, and no one uttered a word against any of the sons of Israel. No one uttered a word against any of the sons of Israel. They didn't open their mouth. There was no more conspiring. There was no more let's gather together and form a group. There was no NATO meetings. There was no let's see what we can do 
next week, if we all put our resources together, they didn't open their mouth against the sons of Israel. Why? Because when God brings a decisive victory, the enemy has nothing to say. Nothing to say. You'll know. You'll know when God brings a decisive victory because the enemy's camp gets silent. The enemy's camp gets silent. He likes to run his mouth. But when God brings a decisive victory, the enemy's camp gets silent. When God shows up on the scene and utterly wipes out the enemy, the camp gets silent. No one uttered a word against the sons of Israel. No one uttered a word against the sons of Israel. Are you alive? Not much more, I promise, okay? It's important. Verse 26, I'm not going to read it to you. They go back and get the kings. So Joshua doesn't forget about the kings. He goes back and gets the kings. They, they hang them. Joshua's violent. It's okay. They go back and they hang the kings. Why is all this important? Why is it important that Joshua destroys all of... Why is it important that he destroys everyone he possibly can? Why is it important? Joshua 13, 13. I want to read you something, okay? But the, so uh, up to Joshua, basically Joshua 11, we have fighting. Joshua 12, we have a, a list of uh, the kings that Joshua destroyed. And in Joshua 13, we start dividing up land, okay? So in Joshua 13, we're giving out land to people. In Joshua 13, 13, there's this interesting note. It says, but the sons of Israel did not drive out the Jeshurites, excuse me, or the Makathites. Instead, Jeshur and Makath live among Israel to this day. Jeshur and Makath live among Israel to this day. Doesn't sound like a very big deal, right? That, by the way, is in the middle of a whole chapter that is 33 verses long that talk about all the people they did drive out. So one little verse in a whole chapter talking about all the people they did drive out. There's this one little footnote that says, ah, by the way, there's these two groups of people we didn't drive out. Doesn't sound like a big deal. Right before Israel goes into the promised land, though, God gives them an instruction. So back in Numbers, I'm going to read it to you. Don't flip there, okay? Back in Numbers, they're about to go into the promised land. The older generation has died. The newer generation is taking over. They are about to walk into the promised land, and God gives them an instruction. Numbers 33, 55, he says, If you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from you, then it will come about that those whom you let remain will be like thorns in your eyes and pricks in your side, and they will be trouble to you in the land in which you live. Well, that doesn't sound good. But, again, drove out all of these people, and there's these two little tribes that they let remain, okay? So Joshua does all of this good. There's these two little tribes that he lets remain. Why is it so important? That he drives out all, all. Remember what Joshua is a picture of. It is a picture of the sin. It is a picture of the compromise. It is a picture of that that gets in, ekes in, soaks in, sneaks into the lives of believers and compromises the promises that we have, okay? Why is it important that it all gets driven out? 2 Samuel chapter 3. Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And David became steadily stronger while the house of Saul became steadily weaker. Sons were born to David in Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon by that lady, the Jezreelite. And his second, Chiliab by Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. And the third, ready, Absalom. The third son was Absalom. 
You know who Absalom is? Everybody? The third was Absalom. The son of Maka, the daughter of Talmi, king of Jeshur. King of Jeshur. Okay, are you there? The Jeshurites don't get driven out by Joshua. Not a big deal. It's just one of two tribes that get to remain in the land. Doesn't seem like a huge deal. He drove out all of these other people. Only two, basically two tribes. There's a couple other tribes that get mentioned. But one, these two tribes are the ones that are highlighted in Joshua 13. That get to remain. Uh, one of those two tribes, king, 400 years later, the king of one of those tribes has a daughter. That daughter marries David. David has a son with that daughter. That son becomes Absalom. Absalom tries to kill David and subserve David in the kingdom. Tries to, tries to take the kingdom out of David's hand. What tried to steal the promise out of the children of Israel's hands 400 years prior hangs around in the background. And 400 years later, again, tries to pop its head up and steal the promise out of their hands 400 years later. Interesting. Book of Judges, no mention of this tribe. For 400 years, silence. You know what that tells me? That stuff can hide in the background for a long time. That stuff can hide in the background for a long time. My, my issues, my problems, my circumstances that I thought I dealt with or that I know I didn't deal with but I'm hoping will just go away someday, they can hide in the background for a very long time. They can hide underneath the surface for a very long time. They can hide somewhere in the dark for a very long time. And years and generations down the road can pop their head up and try to steal the promise that's been promised to my sons or my son's sons or however many generations it is down the road. And they tried to steal the kingdom out of David's hand. They tried to steal the kingdom out of David's hand. The offspring of that thing tried to steal the promise out of David's hand. Tried to steal the promise. I love my kids too much to let that stuff live. I love my kids too much to let that stuff live. I love my family too much to let that stuff live. Listen, I don't, I don't want this to be a, I don't want this to be an enemy focused, uh, sin focused message because that's not what this is. This isn't a, here are all your issues, deal with all your issues. If, if that's what the Lord's talking to you about, fine. It's more than that. It's more than that. It is, it is, there are promises that the Lord has spoken over this house. Promises that the Lord's spoken over your house. And Joshua didn't, Joshua didn't drive out those tribes because he didn't step into the fullness of the promise. It's, it's not, let's become super enemy focused. That's not what it is. Hear me. It's, let's become focused on what he's promised us. If Joshua walks fully into the promise, he doesn't have to worry about the enemy. If Joshua walks in and takes over the land of Jeshur, the Jeshurites aren't an issue. If Joshua walks in and fully takes over the land of Maka, the Maccabites or whatever their names are, aren't an issue. 
It's, it's not, let me set my eyes on all these things that could potentially be a problem and could potentially crop their heads up later down the road. That is not what it is. That's how you live depressed and anxious and worried all the time. It is focusing on Him and what has He told me to do and what has Jesus put in my heart and making sure that I step fully into what He's promised me to do. Because if I'm not occupying the land that He told me to occupy, then somebody's living there. Somebody's living there. Remember, in the promised land, he said, I'm preparing for you vineyards. Vineyards, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not just going to give you seeds, I'm going to give you vineyards. Remember how he gives you vineyards? It's because somebody else is there planting the vineyards. That means there's a land where somebody's living that he's calling me to walk into. And if I don't walk into that land, then they are staying in that land. And it's not, oh God, there's all these things i got to deal with. No, no, no. It's Jesus, you are wonderful and lovely. And I'm stepping into this promise that you've called me to step into. And as I step into this thing, those things have to go. They just have to go. They just have to go. It is becoming so obsessed with Jesus that I walk fully into everything that he's promised me. And in walking into those things, everything else falls away. Everything else fades away. Everything else has to die by the wayside. It's not getting my eyes on the other thing. It's focusing my eyes on the one thing. Focusing my eyes on the one thing. And when I become obsessed and, and, and I become locked in on the one thing, nothing else has a chance of living. Nothing else has a chance of living. When Jesus and I walk into the promise, who is standing against me? Who is standing against me? When Jesus and this church walk into the promises that he's spoken over us, uh, over us, what devil is standing against us? I don't care if its name is Backbone of Satan or Beelzebub or, or Lucifer himself. What devil is standing against us when Jesus and church of the living God walk into the promises? When Jesus walks in, what devil is standing in the way? When Jesus walks in, what devil is standing in the way? What enemy is standing in the way when he who is light walks into the darkness? What darkness can abide when Jesus walks in? It's not here are all the issues. It's here's the answer. Here's the answer. And there's a land that has been promised to us. A land that's been promised to us. <clears throat> and we've got to take possession. We've got to take possession. There's lands that's been promised to you. And maybe that land is your kids. And maybe that land is your finances or your job or your marriage. But you've got to take possession of it. You've got to take possession of it. Stand with me this morning. I know we're Pentecostal and we all love fighting and warfare. And <laughs> I almost said something. I'm not going to say that. We all love fighting and warfare and... Uh, all that stuff. <clears throat> Paul made this statement to Timothy. 1 Timothy 1 verse 18. He said, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. According to the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you fight the good fight. Sometimes I think we fight all wrong. <laughs> we want to we want to yell and scream and run and shout and sometimes dance and get the oil and I'm all for it if the Lord says to do it but Paul said fight according to what he's promised you what are prophecies? prophecies are, 
are, are foretellings from the Lord. They are promises from God. They're promises. They're things that He's told you and promised you. As basic, that's as, as simple and as basic as, as you can get it. I know that. They're just promises. According to what He's promised you, by them, fight the good fight. What does that look like? Lord, you promised us. You promised us that our kids would come home. I don't have to break out the prayer shawl or the, I'm going to say it, or the shofar. I don't have to. I don't have to shout or dance or run around the car. Unless you tell me to, and then I'll do it. But I don't have to do that. God, you promised that they would come home. You gave them kids to me. You didn't give them to them. You gave them to me. And Father, you told me when they were little that they would serve you all the days of their life. And that they wouldn't wander these streets. But God, they'd stand on the foundations you built in my life. And that they would live for you and serve you. So God, bring them home. It looks like staring at the bills in the bank account and saying, God, you said you'd provide for my needs and supply all of my needs according to your riches and glory. And, and my riches here are not sufficient enough. But Father, you promised. It looks like looking at my marriage and saying, God, you said, you said that no man, no thing has the authority to tear apart what you have joined together. Father, you said that, uh, that, that if two are together, that one may slip and fall. But if three are together, Lord, a threefold cord is, is not easily broken. Father, you said it looks like holding to his promises. It doesn't require shouting or running or dancing or jumping unless he tells you to do it. But it looks like grabbing a hold of his promises. Holding on to his promises in your hand and saying, Father, you said, you said. And your word is true. And your word is infallible. And you are unchanging. And you are the God from everlasting to everlasting. You are the God who was and is and will be. You are the God who met me there. And the God who's with me now. And the God who's promised to stand in my tomorrow. You're the God who found me in that little apartment when we had nothing. God, you're the God who's been with me when I was fighting hell and it felt like no one would come to my rescue. You are the God who will find me now. You are God alone. You're God Almighty. You are God and you are here. It looks like grabbing a hold of God and reminding Him of what He said. Reminding Him of what He said. There are promises in this house that are locked up. That are locked up. And there are, there are things standing in the promise. And I feel like many of us have said, yeah, but God, there's somebody and there's some things standing there. And I, I can't go into the promise because look at, look at all that stuff that's standing there. And I, I just feel like the Lord this morning is saying, yeah, don't you know I've been using those morons to make it ready for you? That's how he talks to me. I've been using them to make it ready for you. And them being there affects me none it affects me none it affects me none and I feel a fresh breath of grace this morning to run into the promises I feel a fresh wind of the Holy I can feel the wind of the Holy Spirit this morning to run 
into the promises that he's spoken over my house and you can have the wind too if you want or you can say no thank you but I'm going to put up my sail and I'm going to run into the promises that he's spoken over my house I'm going to run into the promises that he's spoken over my kids I'm going to run into the promises that he's spoken over my wife run into the promises that he's spoken over my family so Holy Spirit I say come I say come and blow through this house like a mighty wind Come and blow through this house like a mighty wind. Fill this place with your wind, almighty God. Fill the sails of your people with a fresh wind and a fresh grace. To run again. To pursue again. To run and pursue again, oh God. To not say, yeah, but. To not say, but God, there's somebody standing there. To not say, but God, there's somebody where I'm supposed to go. But to say, God, if that's where we're going, then, 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 then let's go. Then let's go. Who cares who's standing there and who cares what they're doing? Let's go. Fill the sails of your people, God. 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 Fill. Fill. Ask Him yourself. Somebody else doesn't have to pray for you. Fill. Fill. Fill your people with your wind, O oh God. Fill them with the breath of heaven. Fill them with the refreshing. Fill them with the wind, God. To run. To run. And do what you promised. To run into what you promised. We're not going to stand still any longer. I won't tarry any longer. I won't delay any longer. Thank you for listening today to the Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.